Welcome to High Country, politics in the American West. My name is Sean Diller. Regular listeners might know me from Heartland Pods, talking politics every Monday. Go to heartlandpod.com for information on all our political podcasts and a link to support our work on Patreon. Sign up as an official pod head for just $5 per month to access all our premium podcast segments and political writing. To join the conversation on Twitter, find us at the Heartland Pod. All right, let's get into it. $200 million for Colorado homelessness crisis. Governor Jared Polis signed four bills that address homelessness Tuesday. The bills are funded by $200 million in federal relief money made available by Polis's administration and will fund recovery care, addiction treatment, and give tax credits to service providers. Funds will also go to a Denver Metro Regional Navigation Campus that will offer homelessness resolution services and transform the Ridgeview Youth Services Center into a substance recovery campus. Kathy Alderman, Chief Communications and Public Policy Officer for the the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless and a 2021 guest on the show said the state prior to this session has not been able to make very large investments of state dollars in homelessness resolution. While the bills will begin to address Colorado's ongoing housing and homelessness issues, Alderman said she worries about when the ARPA funds run out because the state has not chosen to heavily invest in reducing homelessness before. She said, now it's a matter of ensuring that we see the results, we learn from the results, and we prepare ourselves to make investments long term. 32 states get funding for rail projects. The United States government will spend millions on railroad projects throughout the country in hopes of improving supply chains and passenger rail service. The announcement by the Biden administration of $368 million in consolidated rail infrastructure and safety improvements will go to more than 46 projects designed to improve safety and broaden the nation's rail infrastructure. Two projects in Colorado are among those to receive grants. A railroad underpass reconstruction project in Colorado Springs is due to receive up to $2.5 million, with a 34% match from the city of Colorado Springs. In Commerce City, a rail crossing project at 120th Avenue and United States Highway 85 is due to receive up to $9.6 million, with a 40% match from Commerce City and State Partner. In all, the grants will go to projects in 32 states, with nearly half the investment going to rural communities, and there's more to come in 2023. The Federal Railroad Grant Program will expand next year to provide $1 billion in grants under the bipartisan infrastructure law that Congress approved last year. Treasury Secretary Pete Buttigieg says that's going to allow us to fund even more projects like these because I can tell you we saw more good applications in this round of the program than we were able to support. As we do this, we will be creating jobs, reducing delays, and enhancing the movement of people and goods across the country. Housing's an issue in Nevada, too. Democratic United States Representative Stephen Horsford wants to crack down on corporate investors that buy up already limited housing stock, which he said has driven up rents, squeezed out prospective homeowners. Horsford joined United States Housing and Urban Development Secretary Marsha Fudge on Monday to tour affordable housing complexes in southern Nevada and speak on federal initiatives being used to combat the housing crisis. The congressman touted investments made possible by the American Rescue Plan Act, federal relief dollars that some states, including Nevada, have directed toward affordable housing project. And Horsford said some of the rising cost of housing is the result of corporate investors. I have a big problem with corporate investors that are gouging consumers and my constituents in the name of profit at a time when we're trying to recover. Horsford didn't offer specifics on how to rein in investors, but said he was looking at a number of initiatives along with the administration to figure out what we could do to not continue to allow these corporate investors who have no stake in the community. 
The Culinary Union, which in May announced a ballot initiative to cap rent increases at 5% per year in North Las Vegas, has also pointed to large out-of-state corporations driving up housing costs. During the launch of its Neighborhood Stability Initiative, the union noted that the top 10 apartment owners in Nevada own 26.4% of total available units, the largest being Westland Real Estate Group, a company based in Long Beach, California. Horsford, whose congressional district includes North Las Vegas, said corporate investors don't care about our community. Secretary Fudge's visit comes as Nevada, along with the rest of the nation, contends with a full-on housing affordability crisis. The National Low-Income Housing Coalition said no state has an adequate supply of affordable housing for the lowest-income renter. According to the organization, Nevada has a deficit of 101,487 homes for people who make at or below 50% of the area median income. And rents keep going up. In southern Nevada, rents have increased around 30% in less than two years. Congressman Horsford said the number one complaint his office receives is from people who can't afford their rising rent. In an interview, Housing Secretary Fudge noted there have already been federal investments in addressing the housing crisis and helping people pay their rent. According to the White House, to date, nearly 570 jurisdictions have committed over $11.7 billion to housing-related activity, with $3.2 billion committed to production and preservation of affordable housing. Nevada, which received around $6.7 billion in ARPA funding for state and local governments, is allocating $500 million for the creation and preservation of affordable housing, as well as homeowner assistance and land acquisition. The state is still reviewing applications from developers and nonprofits who could create housing projects. Secretary Fudge said it's going to take some time to build all the housing we need in this country, but urge communities to put plans in place as quickly as possible. Spend the money that's already available. You have to make sure you're ready when the developer's ready, Fudge said. So you've looked at your zoning, you've looked at how people are going to respond to what you're building, you've already secured the land. Housing takes time. But if you do all the preparatory work and the resources are here, you can hit the ground running. And if you want to know what your state's leaders are doing with the billions of dollars in federal funding they've received, ask. It's an election year. They should be willing to listen and hear from you what your community needs. They're going to let it shine. The Biden administration says it will significantly reduce the amount it charges companies to build wind and solar projects on public land, a move meant to incentivize renewable energy development. During a visit to Las Vegas on Wednesday following the announcement, Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland said the new policy would cut costs for developers by lowering fees by 50% for new and existing renewable energy projects on public lands. She said it will incentivize industry to partner in responsible solar and wind development and help encourage and inspire other companies to invest in the clean energy economy. The policy change comes after after the Biden administration committed to permit at least 25,000 megawatts of renewable energy on public land by 2025 as part of the Energy Act of 2020. According to a recent report by the Department of the Interior, Arizona had just one such project permitted in 2021, a solar farm plans to generate 260 megawatts of power. But at least five more projects are in the pipeline, four solar, all in the southern half of the state, and one wind in the northwest near the Nevada border. Neighboring Nevada, meanwhile, has more public land than nearly any other state, second only to Alaska. In fiscal year 2021, the Bureau of Land Management authorized 12 renewable energy projects on public lands, with more than half of them in Nevada. The agency said it's on track to approve 48 wind, solar, and geothermal energy projects by 2025, with the majority of them also in Nevada. The planned energy projects have the estimated capacity to produce enough power for more than 9 million homes, meaning the Biden administration may even exceed its goal of permitting 25,000 megawatts by 2025. BLM Director Tracy Stone Manning said the Bureau of Land Management continues to take bold steps to attract renewable energy investments on public lands in a way that is environmentally sound. This will help support our clean energy economy by creating good-paying jobs, increasing our energy security, and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. In order to handle the growing 
growing number of applications by wind, solar, and geothermal developers, Secretary Holland said that BLM would create five new offices across the West to review and expedite proposed projects. Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto joined Interior Secretary Holland for a press conference on the announcement Wednesday. Senator Cortez Masto said that bipartisan infrastructure law passed by the Senate last year will also help Nevada develop more renewable energy by allowing former hard rock mining sites to be used as solar facilities. She said, Nevada's an innovation state. We are building the cutting-edge economy of the 21st century. We are developing solutions to some of our most urgent energy and climate problems. Opioid warnings in Montana. Montana authorities have issued a warning stemming from a sudden spike in fatal opioid overdoses in the past two weeks, leading to the deaths of eight individuals in six counties ranging from ages 24 to 60 years old. The overdoses follow a continuing state trend that mirrors a national rise in fentanyl overdose. Fentanyl, a synthetic opioid, is 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine as often found with other illicit drugs. A joint news alert from the Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services, along with the Department of Justice, put out the notice because of the sharp rise in deaths. The statistics released by the state do not take into account the number of overdoses treated by health officials and law enforcement officers that were not fatal. Montana Health Department said all of the deceased were likely using opioids alone and were found by bystanders. Departments also advising residents that blue pills marked with M30 likely contain illicitly manufactured fentanyl, and counterfeit pills containing fentanyl are becoming increasingly common nationally and in Montana. In addition to the number of people overdosing on the drug, Montana law enforcement has begun intercepting more illegal fentanyl. More fentanyl was seized in the first three months of 2022 than the last four years combined. So it's essential to recognize the symptoms and signs of opioid overdose and what to do about it. Naloxone overdose reversal may only be temporary, so emergency response should always be activated. Signs of an overdose include loss of consciousness or falling asleep, small constricted pinpoint pupils, slow shallow breathing, choking or gurgling sounds, a limp body, pale blue or cold skin, or slow to no heartbeat. For additional information on how to obtain naloxone in Montana through the state standing order, see the Montana DPHHS naloxone website. And outside of Montana, around the country, most CVS, Kroger, Walgreens, Walmart, Sam's Club, and Rite Aid pharmacies should be able to give you naloxone, also known as Narcan, without a prescription. Contentious Dem primary in Denver. In the June 28th primary election, the most interesting race might be for a Denver-based state house seat. Voters will decide between a progressive Elizabeth Epps and a centrist Katie March, and the winner could sway policy decisions at the state capitol. That's likely why big money is interested in House District 6, which includes Capitol Hill, Congress Park, and Lowry. Elizabeth Epps, a community organizer and former public defender, said, I represent the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. and a lot of other political systems, my opponent and I would not even be in the same political party. Period. March, a former historian and aide to Democratic House Speaker State Representative Alec Garnett, said she has progressive values, but can get real results. The race between the two Democrats has caught the attention of the Colorado Chamber of Commerce and a couple of apartment associations. The chamber, which generally supports Republican candidates, recently put out a slate of endorsements with nine Republicans and four Democrats. One of those four Democrats was Katie March. March also received maximum contributions of $5,350 from two apartment associations. Epps would add to a growing roster of progressives at the state capitol. She said, I don't need corporate money to run and to win this race. Referring to March's donors, she said, they don't support regulating greenhouse gas emissions. They don't support smart and sensible drug policy. They don't support protections for tenants, for renters. They don't support full collective bargaining rights. They don't support a full statewide ban on assault weapons. So I think Elizabeth Epps said it 
pretty succinctly right there when it comes to the issues. But I did also want to talk about results really fast because March says we need someone who can get real results. So Elizabeth Epps is someone who gets results. Cash bail is a problem everywhere in this country. It takes away the freedom of people who have not been convicted of a crime and the negative impacts of sitting in jail for a petty charge folks didn't even do fall almost completely on black and brown people in this country. In 2019, a bill eliminating cash bail for minor offenses was passed and signed into law by Governor Polis. The bill was the top item on State Representative Leslie Harrod's legislative to-do list. She introduced the bill with support from Elizabeth Epps. After the bill was signed, Representative Harrod spoke to the press. She said, This was my number one priority. When I approached the ACLU, I said, I want to do a bail reform bill, and I want Elizabeth Epps on board. Representative Harrod, a Denver Democrat, said they needed to have balance for the bill to work, which she was able to get. The bill received unanimous support in the legislature. Harrod said Colorado is on the cutting edge of this. We're doing bail reform. We're doing it right. We've got law enforcement on board. We've got rural conservative counties on board. We are making changes here in Colorado. So this myth that the real progressives don't get results is definitely not true here. Also, when I looked at the endorsements of the candidates, both have a ton of endorsements from current and former elected officials in the Democratic Party, in the area, and around. The big difference that I saw is that the endorsements Elizabeth Epps got are from the real progressive leaders in Colorado. I love living here because of the progressive leaders in Colorado. People like Senator Julie Gonzalez, Representative Jennifer Bacon, my state representative, who said, Elizabeth Epps is a modern day freedom fighter and we need her in the legislature. The legislature needs people who are unapologetic and working to disrupt the systems that have disenfranchised so many. Joe Salazar, another progressive leader in the state, said she's proven herself to be an exceptional and effective leader, a selfless champion of community. State reps Emily Sirota and Iman Jody endorsed Elizabeth Epps, as did Denver City Councilwoman Candy Sidabaka. These are all people that I respect a ton and we need more like them and more like Elizabeth Epps in government. Well, that's it for me. From Denver, I'm Sean Diller, original reporting for the stories, and today's show comes from Colorado Newsline, Arizona Mirror, KUSA 9 News Denver, Nevada Current, Denverite, and The Daily Montana. Thank you for listening. See you next time.